BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. In yet another sign that international sanctions and other factors basically chalking it up to Russian ineptitude are causing the Russians problems in their invasion of Ukraine, the largest tank manufacturer in Russia, Eurovagonzavad, has actually had to halt production of tanks because of supply shortages. The company, which has been making tanks and armored vehicles for the Russian army since the 1930s, it actually was the largest producer of battle tanks during the Second World War, they've run into supply chain issues due to sanctions imposed on them because of their participation in the invasion of Ukraine through production of the T-72B3 battle tanks that were delivered by Eurovagonzavad to the Russian armed forces. Now, interestingly, this isn't the first time that Eurovagonzavad has been the subject of sanctions. They've actually been under U.S. sanctions since the annexation of Crimea in 2014, sanctions which have never gone away. But again, according to the report, the Chelyabinsk tractor plant in west-central Russia doesn't have component parts that come from other countries. And so the ban on exporting those parts from other countries to Russia has crippled their ability to produce new tanks. Unfortunately, Russia has a massive stockpile of tanks, over 12,000 and 20,000 armored fighting vehicles, and who knows how many others in reserve that aren't even modern ones that have just kind of been mothballed since the Cold War. That's compared to about 2,500 tanks and about 2,800 armored vehicles for the Ukrainian side, about a quarter to a tenth as much. Now, since the invasion began, Oryxblog, an open-source site that tracks military equipment losses around the world, they say Russia's lost about 260 tanks, about half destroyed, half captured, some damaged, and others abandoned by Russian troops that are just too discouraged by participating in the war. The U.S. Department of Defense has roughly a similar estimate, around 200, although the Ukrainians are claiming something around two to three times as many of those being destroyed. So will these supply chain issues and the halting of production actually affect the war in Ukraine? It seems unlikely, but it does seem to be another piece of evidence that uh, Russia looks like something of a paper tiger, what we thought was a first-rate military prior to this invasion, and evidence that Russia just can't operate independently of the rest of the world, even when invading a much weaker nation on its very border. Do you own an electric vehicle, or do you wish you did? Well, a lot of people are looking at this these days, but what's the biggest thing that gets in their way? considerations about how long it will retain a charge and considerations about how long it takes to charge them. Because typically you're talking, what, 30 to 40 minutes for a full charge when you're even at a supercharging station for an e-car and 10 hours may be at home. Well, researchers at Korea's Institute for Basic Science may have found a solution to the challenge of how to charge batteries more quickly. And they're borrowing from the ideas in quantum physics, basically Taking a theoretical approach to battery charging and instead of charging each cell in the battery sequentially as is done now, treating them all as a simultaneous charging target and essentially charging the entire battery, 200 cells or so in the average car battery, all at one time, which wouldn't take barely any time at all. And weirdly, it looks like the benefits are exponential in favor of batteries that are larger, a phenomenon the researchers are calling the quantum charging advantage. 
So if you have what they call global operation and battery cells simultaneously talking to all the others and sort of all coupled together like a single cell, the larger the battery is, you get a benefit exponentially related to its size. So if you have two cells, you now increase the charging rate by four. And if you go to 10, you can charge it 100 times faster. A 200-cell battery in a car, theoretically now, looks like it might be able to reduce the charging time from 10 hours to three minutes. And at high-speed stations like you'd find out on the road, maybe mere seconds. In practical terms, if this bears out over time and the theory turns into reality, this means that if you and a family member are both on the open road, you're driving the electric car and they're driving a gas car, it could take them longer to power their car than it takes you to power yours. And, of course, the other applications here are fascinating. Think of how quickly you could charge, for example, cell phones or laptop batteries if this technology does apply in the even smaller realm of personal portables. But don't get too excited. The rollout's probably years away. And in the meantime, it's still going to take you a long time to charge your electric vehicle. And finally, from the wait we paid for what category... The city of Miami has made significant improvements and upgrades to its Alice Wainwright Park starting last year in May of 2021, about $4.9 million in project costs. And they've done all kinds of things here, like they've upgraded the seawall in response to concerns about global climate change. They've put in a Baywalk improvement project, 33,000 square feet worth, drainage improvements, seating areas, trash receptacles, new trees, shrubs, removal of invasive plants, landscaping, and lighting. Safety lighting. Solar-powered safety lighting. 53 of them, to be exact, at a price tag of about a third of a million dollars, $350,000. What's been observed by the locals that's interesting about that element of the project is that these solar lights, which charge during the day and then light up during the night, are for a park that closes every day at 6 p.m. You know, sunset. So the park that you're not allowed to be in after dark just got a third of a million dollar upgrade to its lighting for the time you're not allowed to be there. <laughs> which some people have observed seems to be a problem. But also in the wait, wait, there's more category, there might be an explanation. Various theories have been offered here as to why this isn't just an absurd misuse of public funds. Because, for example, this particular park has a problem with homeless people who stay in at night and cause problems and damage facilities. And the police don't like to go around the park patrolling or looking for problems without adequate lighting. Park rangers at other facilities often say that they prefer to have lights at night because it discourages vandalism, mayhem, destruction. And, of course, there's concerns about just ordinary public safety because when delinquents and criminals like to go somewhere that they want to do their bad stuff, where do they go? Well, they go where it's dark. So if the park is well lit up, that's going to tend to discourage them from doing things in the park that create costs or just involve criminality. But it does sort of raise the question... If you're going to all of this trouble to make sure that the park is extremely well lit, even at night, maybe you could let the citizens use it because, because the presence of fellow citizens will also have a discouraging effect on bad behavior. That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup, and consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. And before you leave, if you could hit that five-star rating, I would appreciate it. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.